Pastor Ray and I are going to be leading you into Easter this Sunday and next Sunday and then the big Sunday. Uh, and today, to kind of set the stage for this, I want to um, share with you from, from a simple question uh, or, or, or a, a preposition of what if Jesus had not been born? What if Jesus had not come to this earth? You know, he laid aside the royal robes of heaven, stepped aside from the jewel-decked throne of glory, and came to this earth and robed himself in human flesh. We call it the incarnation. That's just a theological word that says God became man, and he dwelt among us. What if that event had never taken place? I want to tell you something. It did a whole lot more for this world than what you realize. And I want to share some of that with you today. I'm going to take my text from Acts chapter 10. I'll read verses 34 to 38. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. How many of you are glad about that? The old King James Version says he's no respecter of persons. In other words, what the, uh, what the Apostle Peter is telling us here is that God loves you just, just as much as he does anybody else in the world. And God is willing to do for you just as much as he's willing to do for anybody else in the world. Aren't you thankful for a God like that? Wow, praise the Lord. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. 38 is my, is my theme today. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus. Jesus. Say that name with me. Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful name. There's been a lot of great men throughout history, and uh, they brought great changes into the world for good to humanity in one area or another. Someone, you know, had, had to invent everything that we see you and I today enjoy an iPad or an iPhone. Somebody had to invent that. Somebody invented the computer. Somebody invented the light bulb, the telephone, the automobile, the airplane, the fidget. Uh, somebody invented all this stuff, you know. And some of it, of course, affects uh, mankind more than others. But um, in many different areas, some in the medical profession, for example, they're creativity and their dedication to their field and, and what they were able to accomplish has made life easier for us and even our life expectancy uh, longer in this day. But no one, and I repeat this, no one, no one ever has changed virtually, virtually every aspect of human life on this planet like Jesus Christ. And the great tragedy is that most people don't really know it. They're just not aware of how much Jesus did. So I hope in the next few minutes of this message today to share with you, give you a little insight into this subject. Now I'm going to tell you the biggest problem I've got this morning is trying to pare this down and get, I, I've got this is one of those things when you get to study and it just snowballs. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I usually come to the pulpit on Sunday morning with about four, five, sometimes six pages of notes. This morning I got 13 pages. And that's after condensing it. So I could, I could actually probably preach till about three o'clock um, to, to try to get all this in. I'm not going to do that. I promise you that. I'm going to try to stay within my typical time limit, but, but I do want, can you listen fast? Okay, if you, boy, yeah. <laughs> That's the best response I've had this morning. 
<laughs> You're going to listen fast. You don't want to go to three o'clock. <laughs> First point of my message is that Jesus makes all things new. He makes all things new. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these, uh, for these words are true and faithful. That word behold there is a, a Greek word that means to note well, to look closely, to examine carefully. And uh, if you could hear what Jesus said the way he said it, it would sound something like this. Behold, I make all things new. In other words, that, that word behold is to grab your attention, to say, take note of this. I make all things new. And can I tell you this morning that everything Jesus touches, he changes it for the better. Everything. Everything. So let's look at a few of these things. First thing I want you to notice is time. Time itself. He touched time when he came into this world. When Jesus left heaven and became a man, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, he changed time forever. He altered the whole way that we measure time. Now when the world counts time and looks at the calendar or makes a date of an event, it either uses B.C. or A.D. B.C. meaning before Christ. A.D. is from the Latin that simply means in the year of our Lord. And so time is, he, it was forever changed. When he touched time, and came, he's eternal by the way, but when he came to this earth and became a man, he touched time here because time is in our sphere. And he changed it. Isn't it ironic? I love this. When an atheist who doesn't believe in God at all writes a letter and maybe he's even writing to somebody to say, there is no God. When he, when he dates that letter, he says, in the year of our Lord. Because that's what it means. That's what your date means when you write. When you're, if you wrote today's date in 2019, that's A.D. That's in the year of our Lord. <laughs> it, it, it's, so, it's so much fun. In fact, I, well, I get a kick out just thinking about this. When the old Soviet Union, which was atheistic and communistic and anti-God in every way possible, when they wrote their constitution in 1917 and dated it, they had to say, in the year of our Lord. Jesus touched everything. That, um, that, that time has. Now, Christianity's roots were very small and very humble. You see, an itinerant rabbi preached for about three and a half years, did some miracles, and today, 2,000 plus years later, there are 2.3 billion, not million, billion with a B, people who follow him and call him Lord. Isn't that amazing? At the time when Jesus was born, the, the, the powerful people of the world were emperors and governors and, and people like that. They were the powerhouses of that day. And yet Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem of Judea. Such an humble beginning. And yet today, 2,000 plus years later, all of those emperors and those great powerful figures that were alive when Jesus was born, they're all rotting in their sepulchers, waiting for the final judgment day to come. But Jesus lives on. And none of those have two billion plus followers. None, none of those guys have anybody falling down to worship them. No wonder God the Father said, I've given him a name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Do you love that name this morning? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Glory to God. Well, let, let me give you just a... Um, uh, uh, first of all, a quote from Napoleon. This is what Napoleon said. He said, I search in vain history to find a similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Nations pass away, thrones crumble, 
But his church remains. His church lives on and on. Here we are this morning on this Sunday morning in church as a testimony to the fact that Jesus changed the world. Praise God. I want to give you, secondly, a little quick overview of some of the things that that have happened because Jesus came to this world. Now, again, we don't think in terms of these things, but if you do a little research and, and go back behind and find out where these started and, and how they came into being, these are things that came about because of the followers of Christ who were trying to do what they felt like would honor the Lord Jesus. Hospitals universities, literacy, capitalism, representative government, separation of political powers, civil, civil liberties, modern science, the discovery of the new world. They don't want you to know this at school, kids, but Christopher Columbus was seeking God, and God inspired him and gave him wisdom to find the new world. That's how he discovered America. Benevolence. There is no group of people on the face of the earth today that is as giving as the followers of Jesus Christ. Wow. And you can go on and on. A higher standard of justice, the elevation of the common man, the condemnation of immorality, regard for human life, civilizing of barbarian cultures. Wherever Jesus is, the, the name of Jesus is taken, even into the remotest parts of this earth, where there are cannibals that are still eating human beings and, 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 and living like barbarians when the name of Jesus is brought in among them and the principles and teachings of Jesus is brought about, that whole culture changes and they become civilized. Oh, glory to God. One of the great examples of this, and I, uh, we showed you a couple of years ago the, and one of the songs and the kids worshiping from the Chalupa tribe uh, in Africa where the bridge planted the very first church that they planted. And uh, they asked us to find a, a, a tribe of people that had never heard the name of Jesus. And they literally had to machete their way in. These, these, these people lived in the, in the woods. They didn't wear clothes. They were just a warring tribe. They fought and killed. And then their survival rate was not, very, was not very old. In fact, most of them didn't live past about 35 um, because of the constant warring and fighting. And that's where we planted that first church that the homeless people under the bridge gave the money to plant. And now all these years later, they're civilized. They wear clothes. They have a church. They have a school. They're learning and they're craving. Just tell us more about Jesus. Tell us more about Jesus. They've made peace with the tribes around them. Their whole life has changed. Let me tell you, folks, when Jesus came to this world, he changed it forever for the better. Glory to God. Somebody give him praise this morning. Maybe you've heard the little literary work known as One Solitary Life. It was written many years ago. In fact, it was written by Philip Brooks, who also wrote the, the Christmas song that we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. This is called One Solitary Life. Let me just read it to you. This is what uh, Philip Brooks wrote, talking about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family nor owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of those things that we usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. 
While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property that he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as this one solitary life. His name is Jesus. 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 Amen. Let's look at how life was when Jesus came to this earth. First of all, I want to tell you that life was cheap before Jesus came. For example, children. Did you know that in the ancient world, child sacrifice was very common? Archaeologists have unearthed ancient cemeteries near pagan temples where babies were buried who had been offered in sacrifice to pagan gods. It was common to abandon unwanted children. If you don't want a child, you just... There's one place where there was a wall where you would take your kids and just your babies and lay them up on top of that wall and let the fowls of the air devour them or the sun bake them. The parents just walked away and left them. It, it, it was common to abandon your unwanted children. Infanticide was not only legal but it was actually applauded in ancient Rome. Children were owned by their dead. He could sell them, he could kill them, he could raise them, or he could abuse them. He could do anything he wanted to. And there was no law or any reprisal of any kind. He could just do what he wanted to do with them. And you know what kind of evil and sinful, barbarian-type people have. They, it was such a horrible thing. It wasn't until Jesus came, the followers of Jesus, who began to reach out to these unwanted children with compassion. It was Christians that started orphanages and fondling homes, as they were called in those days, and started taking in those unwanted children and giving them an opportunity to live. Secondly, Look at how women were treated before Jesus came. Women weren't much better off than children. They were the property of men as well. Charles Spurgeon told of a Hindu woman who said to a missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman. The missionary said, why do you say that? She said, because it says so many kind things about women. Let me tell you something. Everywhere the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, womanhood is elevated to a new level. You've heard me say before, I don't understand why every woman in the world doesn't love Jesus with all her heart. Because Jesus changed your life, friend. Jesus changed your life by coming to this earth. Praise God. Thank the Lord for that. Prior to, to, to the Christian influence, for example, in, in Africa, there was a common practice that when the husband died, the wife had to die too. So when your husband died, they'd, they'd kill you. And, and many times, in, in depending on what area you lived in, when they died, they, they would have a funeral procession and they would bring the, the, the man who had died and they would put him up on a on, on a thing that a bed that was set up on stilks and then they'd build a fire under him and, and they would cremate him but his live wife was strapped to him and had to burn up and die with him what, how horrible how barbaric and yet that's the way women were treated in that day the only I thought about that and thought about it, I thought that's the most horrible thing in the world the only thing good I could possibly think about in that is that in that day your wife would really work hard to see that you lived a long time <laughs> but that's life before Jesus came and you know, just reading the four Gospels, everywhere Jesus came, 
women were treated differently. The, the woman with an issue of blood would have been stoned under the old covenant. Jesus healed her and made her clean. Amen? They, they brought a woman that they were about to stone and threw him down in front of Jesus and said, we caught this woman committing adultery. Well, what about her? What about the husband? Um, uh, last time I studied this, it took two, but, but the husband was given a free pass, but they would kill the woman. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He saved her life that day. And so it has been all over the world where the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached. You see, remember my text this morning? There's no partiality with God. Aren't you glad about that? Praise God. Just look around you this morning. Just, just look around. Just, just look around the congregation. And, and think about this as you look around. Jesus loves every one of you just as much as he does the other. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or not. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race, creed, or color. We're all the same in his sight. He loves us. Praise God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Think about the elderly when Jesus came. The Eskimos, for example, they used to kill the elderly by putting them on a big block of ice and let them float out to the sea, never to see them again. You got too old to be useful, they just put you on a piece of ice and turn you loose, and you were never heard of again. You, you died. They, they, euthanasia was common. They, they would just kill the old folks. Your value was strictly dependent on what you could contribute. And if you got where you couldn't contribute anymore, you were of no use or no value. But that's not the way Jesus looked at it. Praise God, Jesus loves you when you're young and Jesus loves you when you're old. Amen. Think about slavery. Did you know that, <clears throat> that when Jesus came, one half of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Did you know that? Did you know that two-thirds, or I'm sorry, three-fourths, more than that, three-fourths of the population of Athens were slaves when Jesus came? The life of a slave was taken by the master at his or her whim. But over the centuries, Christianity has abolished slavery, first in the ancient world and then later in the 19th century, largely through the efforts of great, strong Christian evangelical leaders like William Wilberforce. In fact, the day that William Wilberforce died in Great Britain, they released 700,000 slaves. Word came to Wilberforce on his deathbed that that had happened. He raised his hands and said, praise God, my life was not in vain, and my death, I die joyfully knowing that in the great empire of Britain, slavery is now no more. Thirty years later, slavery was abolished in America. One historian pointed out, let me read, in eastern and midwestern United States, evangelicals were often drawn into the struggle against slavery. Calvinists and Methodists alike were given spiritual support to the abolition movement in the 1840s and 1850s. The town of Oberlin, Ohio, founded by Charles Finney, Charles Finney was a great, great preacher in the Great Awakening years. Charles Finney founded that city in Ohio as a college for training evangelicals and young evangelists, and uh, it became the connecting point for the Underground Railroad that helped free so many slaves before slavery was done away. Finney himself often hid fugitive slaves in his attic. We know that two-thirds of the members of the Abolition Society in 1835 were ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. 
two-thirds of the members of the abolition society. In other words, people against slavery. Two-thirds of them were preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, men who knew the word knew that that wasn't the way Jesus would have people to be treated. And so they stood for freedom. Praise God, because Jesus came. Hallelujah. I remind you again that the ground is level at Calvary. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter your color, your ethnicity, your background, or anything else. When you come to Jesus at the cross and he washes away your sins, you become a son or a daughter of Jesus, of, of God, and, an, uh, and a friend and a brother uh, 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 relative to Jesus Christ. He is our elder brother. And we're all, praise God. The, the Bible even says there's no such thing as Jew or Gentile with God, male or female. As far as the way he looks at us and loves us, we're all the same. Praise God. And amen. 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 Now I want to take a few minutes to, to look at something that you rarely think about. And yet, th this is a part of my message. It just got to snowballing the more I studied it. It just, just amazed me. And that is science and Christianity as they relate. Dr. Dr. Malcolm Jeeves writes, and I'm reading a direct quote from him, it was the rediscovery of the Bible and of the message at the time of the Reformation that a new impetus came to the development of science. This new impetus flowing together with all of the, that was best in Greek thinking was to produce the right mixture to detonate the chain reaction leading to the explosion of knowledge which began at the start of the scientific revolution in the 16th century and which proceeded at an ever-increasing rate of speed right up until today. Not only did science not develop in the Greeks, but it was also true that science would not have originated among the Hebrew people for the simple reason that the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, the natural world was simply an occasion to praise the Creator. And as good as that is, it did not generate scientific thought. Nor could modern science have ever come into existence among the Arabs because of the Muslim religion. Since everything is fatalistic and determined, obviously there's no point in trying to manipulate the natural world to change anything because all things are unchangeable. You see how those religions held back instead of increasing scientific development. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that because of Jesus and his teachings, we have all that we enjoy today as of discoveries of, of modern science. Science could never have come into being among the animists of Central and Southern Africa because they never would have begun to experiment with the natural world since everything, whether stones or trees or animals or anything else, contained within it living spirits of various gods from their ancestors. So they couldn't have advanced science. Nor could a science have originated in India among the Hindus, nor in China among the Buddhists, for both Hindus and Buddhists teach that the physical world is unreal and that the only reality is that of the world's soul and of the greatest thing anyone has to learn is that the physical world is not real. Therefore, these would not have, they would have no point in trying to spend one's life in searching for scientific knowledge. It waited for Christianity. I know, I know I'm reading a lot of historical stuff here this morning, but boy, this, when, when I realize how all this connects to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it just thrills my soul. It waited for Christianity to come, to take several of the different strands and weave them together to produce the 16th century and the phenomena that is now known as modern science. It was because of a number of the basic teachings of Christianity. First of all is the fact that there is a rational God who is the source of all truth and that the world is a rational world. This gave rise to the possibility of scientific thought. All of that came out of people who believed 
that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And they believed that God who created everything must have designed in His creation laws that govern it. And so they began to study those governing laws. And from that, they were able to produce all these things that we enjoy today. Science, you see, is based on the fact that water boils at 212 degrees today, and it will boil at 212 degrees tomorrow. And it'll boil at 212 degrees in Augusta, Georgia, and it'll boil at 212 degrees in Australia. You see, these are facts. In other words, when they saw that, they said, this God who created it, there must be some laws here that he has placed together. So they, they continued to study these laws. And, and, and so they went from there. Some of the greatest pioneers of science were committed Christians. For instance, <clears throat> John Ains Kelper, who lived from 1571 to 1630, coined this phrase, thinking God's thoughts after him. When a scientist is engaged in the study of nature, he is looking for what law God has set up for nature. Kelber wrote, since we astronomers are the priests of the high God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our mind, but above all else, of the glory of Almighty God. Another great scientist in the early days was a man named Basil Pascal. He lived from 1623 to 1662. His work <clears throat> was so great that there, there's actually a computer language that's named after him today. He's the guy also that great mathematician. He uh, invented the barometer to help us with weather um, things and, and, and so forth. Another great scientist who viewed scientists thinking God's thoughts after him was Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton lived from 1642 to 1727. Newton said, I have a foundational belief in the Bible as the Word of God, written by men who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. Isn't that amazing? You know, <clears throat> you know the, the, the liberal uh, universities of today would have you to believe that science is opposite of religion. And that's not true. In fact, let, let, let me make this statement. And I arrived at this conclusion many years ago when I studied a little book called um, um, Modern Science and the Bible. And one of the first chapters talked about the, the study of the planets and the, and the stars and the sky. And they went back into history, and way back, um, one, of the, one of the early uh, astronomers was uh, Ptolemy, and Ptolemy said he counted the stars. I think he said there was like 1,200 and some stars in the sky. And science, in scientific journals of that day, they wrote things like this. We have now counted the stars. So the Bible is not true because the Bible says they're innumerable. But guess what? A little bit later, they invented a telescope that was a little more powerful. And they said, uh-oh, Ptolemy was not right. There's 1,500 and some stars. And then they went on later, and then, and then on and on and on, and the more it developed until now, you know what science says? There's no way to count all the stars. We don't know how many there are out there. Did you know, did you know standing right here this morning where we are on planet Earth, science now says you can go 30 billion light years. You, you know how... You know what we're talking about when we're talking about light years? That's light that's, tra that's traveling at the speed of, what is it, 281,000 miles a second? 100, 100, okay, uh, 181,000 miles a second. Is that correct? Somebody help me here. 
186. I, that sounds better. That's I, I, something, something wasn't clicking here. 186,000 miles a second. Can, can you imagine going that far that fast? 186 miles a The earth is only 25,000 miles in circumference. So you'd be spinning around the earth every second many, many, many times if you were just going around and around. But if you were to go straight out there at that speed of light for 30 billion light years, you wouldn't be at the end of God's creation. It's 30 billion that way, it's 30 billion that way, and it's 30 billion that way, and it's 30 billion that way. And they don't know what's beyond that, but they say that's not the end of it. That's just as far as we can calculate right now. <laughs> and so what, what I want to tell you this morning is that anytime science makes a statement and calls it a fact and it disagrees with the Bible, you can mark it down in your little back black book that scientists is not finished there yet. As soon as they get more knowledge, it always lines up with the Bible. Scientists now say, we don't know how many stars there are. We can't count them. They're innumerable. Duh. <laughs> That's what this said all the way back. So, so, so you see why the coming of Jesus to this earth made such a such a Isaac Newton, these great scientists, like I said, liberal education wants to, tell, wants to make you think that, that the, the, the scientists are smart and people who believe in the gospel are dumb. And it's, it's the other way around. Many, many, many of the world's great scientists still today are firm believers in the Word of God and in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. This great scientist, I'm talking about Isaac Newton here, he had this to say about the subject of unbelief. This is Isaac Newton. He said, and I quote, atheism is so sense senseless. When I look at our solar system, I see the earth at exactly the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. Folks, that didn't just happen. That's Isaac Newton. And I can say amen to that. It didn't just happen. We have a God who is great. We have a God who is mighty. We have a God who is omnipotent, almighty, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere. Glory to God. And we serve Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Another great scientist who was a Christian was Michael Faraday. He lived from 1791 to 1867. Faraday made his greatest contribution in the study of electricity. He discovered the electromagnetic induction, and he invented the generator. And we're grateful for that. In fact, we couldn't have service under the bridge if it hadn't been for Michael Faraday because we use a Honda generator to uh, power our sound system under the bridge every Saturday. Um, the reason we use a Honda is because it's quieter than the others. I'm not trying to do a plug for Honda. I'm just, uh, unless they'll send us a donation for, I could go on and 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 on, but I'm not. I'm just going to let them put up on the screen here. Uh, what, what they're going to do I want you to look, and I'm, this is just a very small partial of a list of scientific studies and scientific uh, categories that believers in Jesus Christ founded, discovered, created, and etc. So they're going to put these up. First of all, anesthetic surgery. Joseph Lister. How many of you are glad they can put you to sleep when they operate on you today? There was a time when they couldn't do that. But they can now. He, he, he was, he's a Christian. Bacteriology, Louis Pasteur. Calculus, Isaac Newton. Celestial magnetics, Johannes Kelper. Chemistry, Robert Boyle. Comparative anatomy, George Kuber. Computer science, Charles Babbage. Di, uh, dispen, dispen, I, I got a 
thing here in front of it that's messed me up. Let me turn it. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Got my tongue twisted up behind my eye teeth, and I can't see what I'm saying. It was cre created by Lloyd Rayleigh. And then dynamics by Isaac Newton, and, and electronics by uh, John Ambrose Fleming, and electrodynamics uh, by John Max, uh, James Maxwell, and electromagnetics by Michael Faraday, and energetics by Lloyd. And, and just, just keep showing them up there. I'm not going to read all these. Just, just keep showing them. Yeah, just, just keep it rolling. Just keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. And, and we're going to stop. That's just through the G's. That's just the first seven letters of the alphabet. These are, these are areas of scientific knowledge that was created, developed, discovered by followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these areas would not exist today if it had not been for the critical thinking after the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, don't you ever hang your head again about being a Christian. These, these people try to put you down, act like we're dumb and that we're, we're behind the time and that we're, you know, we're superstitious and all that kind of stuff. That's a bunch of garbage right out of the pit of hell. Amen. Amen. We ought to be holding our head up. We, we are the elite. We're following the greatest leader that's ever stepped foot on planet Earth. Our leader is Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> well, hallelujah. I told you I'd try to get all this in and stop, and I'm going to do it. If you'll stand with me, please. And I want to conclude by telling you this little story. It's a true story. There was a French engineer many years ago that was <clears throat> invited to speak, to, to do a, some lectures at a university. And so this engineer was instructing a class of young minds, hope to be engineers. And he posed this question. He asked the class, he said, what is the greatest thing that ever came out of a mine? I'm talking about a mine in the earth, you know, where you do mine. And so the answer started popping. First one, somebody said, coal. Look what coal has done all over the world. Heat homes and create electricity and so forth. And somebody else said, silver. Somebody else said gold. Somebody else said uranium. Somebody else said diamonds. And on and on it went as they tried to determine what's the greatest thing that ever came out of a mine. And finally, when they exhausted their effort and named everything they could think of, this engineer looked at that student body and said, the greatest thing that ever came out of a mine is a minor. Don't ever forget that more important than that stuff is the person. And can I say to you this morning that before Jesus came, this world was focused on stuff. Creates greed. You're trying to get all you can and can all you get and set on the can. <laughs> Grasping for power. And there's still a lot of people like that today. And the reason they're like that is because they don't really know Jesus. Because when you really know Jesus, you discover that from God's perspective, the greatest thing on this earth is not diamonds and jewels and pearls and houses and lands and cars and money and the greatest thing on this earth is people. Amen. God can speak another world into existence 
it's not that big a deal to him when God looks at planet earth you know what he gets excited about you the greatest thing on earth is you he loves you the golden text of the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and his son came to this earth that was a wonderful event but what sealed it and made it authentic and made it true was what we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks when he died on that cross greater love had no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends Jesus did that for you and me laid down his life for us and then he arose victorious over death hell and the grave ascended back to heaven and is this morning at the right hand of the father interceding for you helping you when you have need helping you representing you before the father when you come with your prayers with your needs with the desires of your heart oh wow the greatest thing to come out of a mine is a miner the greatest thing on planet earth is God's people aren't you glad Jesus came aren't you glad he came aren't you glad he came amen give him praise one more time will you bow your head with me please all over the building Could you just put your hand over your heart? Would you pray this little prayer after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you love me. I'm so thankful that you sent your son to die for me. Today, from my heart, I want to say I love you thank you father and now while you're standing here if you're not sure that you're ready to meet God would you just open your heart to him pray in your own words say father come into my heart wash away my sins forgive me for everything that's not pleasing to you if you have other needs just express that to the Lord right now while we're standing here in his presence just express those needs to him if it's a financial need say Lord you know I need help today and I know you care about me and I know you're no respecter of persons what you've done for others I believe you can do for me I have this need today if you need healing for your body whatever you need just ask the Lord right now in your own words right there where you're standing yes Lord come Holy Spirit we pray and visit every heart and every life meet every need in this place today for the glory of God in Jesus name thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord now I ask you one more time are you glad that Jesus came give him praise hallelujah hallelujah we praise you Lord we praise you Lord I want to tell you something. If Jesus hadn't have come, you'd be watching television by candlelight. No, you wouldn't have any television. Some of us are old enough. We, we're, we're, I grew up, we didn't have hot water. We didn't have a hot water heater. We had well water, and we had to heat the water on the stove and pour it in the bathtub to get enough hot water to have a bath 
Now, I was fortunate enough that we had indoor plumbing, but when I visited my relatives up in Hiawassee, Georgia, we had four rooms and a bath. They had four rooms and a path. All the, the wonderful things that we enjoy today. You don't, you don't think about where they come, but study your history a little bit. You'll, you'll find out that just about everything we enjoy that, was, that came out of the modern scientific since the 16th century came about by Christian men and women who loved the Lord and believed the Word of God and sought God for help. Men of prayer. They're not going to tell you at school that Isaac Newton started every day with prayer. But he did. They're not going to tell you that George Washington Carver started his day with prayer. But he did. They're not going to tell you those things. But, but he did. Praise God. It's still in the history books out there somewhere. You can get a hold of it. If Jesus had not come, we'd still be living in a primitive society. You know what I think? And I, I, this, this is not, I got no scripture to back this up. This is, just, this is just my thinking. I think that the Lord has allowed and given men all this knowledge to just get us going on all this stuff. And, and now it's, it's, it's just doubling faster and faster. In fact, Daniel prophesied towards the end that knowledge would increase. And it's just, it's increasing exponentially now. It's just taking off. It's going so fast, just creating. I hate to tell you, but all your eye stuff will be out of date in a few years. There'll be something else that'll be so much farther beyond it. It'll, it'll just be antique, you know. It, it's just, I think the Lord is just setting us up, letting us see and, and, and say, you think all that's something? Wait till you get to heaven. This is just a taste. Glory to God. That, that's, why I don't, that's why I don't envy people that have a lot more than I do. I can ride by those big old mansions and look at them and I think, that's nice. That looks like a shed in my backyard when I get to heaven. Amen. I'm going through gates of pearl, walking down streets of gold. Glory to God. He loves you, folks, and he's saving the best in all of his universe for those that will serve him and be ready when he comes.